You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. Today we'll be discussing the rationale behind changing office protocols to integrate prevention and fluoride for every patient, adult and child. Our guest is Kathy Cabinzone, a registered dental hygienist and educational consultant. Kathy speaks for several companies, including Aura Pharma, Dental Product Shopper, and Centrix. She has an extensive background in the profession of dental hygiene, including clinical hygiene in general and periodontal practices, community health program development, and grant writing. She also is a dental hygiene clinical adjunct professor and practice management consultant. Kathy, it's a pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. Thank you, Dr. Klein. It's a pleasure to be here. Just before we started this program, you were mentioning you just took a run in uh, Southern California, oh, Southern Florida, actually, with your dog. So uh, if Kathy's a little bit out of breath, but I think she sounds okay and she's fully recovered from that run, but uh, keeping in shape is a good thing. So you should be all set and in shape to do this podcast. If you hear my dog panting in the background, I apologize. Yeah, well, that's right. The dog ran with you, so that's good. Um, What kind of dog do you have? She's a great Pyrenees. Interesting. I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but uh, it sounds like an amazing dog. It looks um, like a polar bear. <laughs> I'm going to look it up after the show. So we're talking about office protocols related to the prevention of carious lesions and, and dental decay and, and dental deterioration through fluoride therapy. And as the title states, we're talking about treating not just adults, but children and maybe uh, more frequently. So to begin, my first question is, it's assumed that the hygienist pretty much does whatever he or she wants to do regarding preventive care as needed for each patient. And you're a dental hygienist, and you also have a lot of experience at the conferences as you lecture across the country. Is this how most dental practices work? Where They operate where the dental hygienist kind of does their own thing, or is there um, a major component here from the, on the doctor's side? You know, they run differently. And of course, it all depends on what state you're at and what the Practice Act is. Um, There are definitely seven states where hygienists can authorize prescriptions. So those states, they probably are a lot more um, in tune with doing their own thing. But a state like my own, Florida, um, the doctors must authorize most things. And a lot of the doctors truly believe that the hygienist is just going to be doing this. But if there's really not a system and a protocol that is aligned with the doctor, hygienist, um, the assistants, and even the front team, it falls by the wayside sometimes. We, you know, hygienists have the best intention, but we get caught up and all of a sudden it's just, it's, it's automatic for children, fluoride varnish, but it's not automatic for adults. So I love to get with any doctor that I work with and just have that discussion asking, uh, how, how do you feel about incorporating a really good prevention program in the practice? And I just share the benefits of a fluoride varnish for an adult, especially adults who have recession after perio treatments. Um, it's, it's critical that they receive the same type of prevention that children do. Cavities don't seem to know how old you are when they um, feel like attacking your teeth. So some sort of protocol needs to be established in the practice. So if a patient comes in for a recare appointment or whatever, and there's a carious lesion found and it's being restored, when is the right time for that subsequent fluoride treatment to be applied? The right time is any time. I know a lot of um, practices are like, well, the hygienist is going to do that. But the dental assistant and 
probably every single state is allowed to do it, even under whether it be under direct supervision or under general supervision. So think about it. If a person has a carious an active carious lesion, especially if they're being prepped for a crown, that means they are at an extremely high risk for more demineralization. I would not want to have the patient wait until they do their hygiene care, which might be a month off, two months off, three months off. Why not? It takes two seconds. Do fluoride varnish application right after you're finished. Have the dental assistant do it. Or if there's a, a dental hygienist who is available, maybe has some open time, that dental hygienist could pop in, uh, greet the patient, and apply the fluoride varnish right there so we know that that patient is getting that preventive care. What do you think the proportion of dentist offices that are practicing right now doing preventive dentistry through fluoride therapy on adults? Is it primarily? youngsters that are getting this? Primarily it is it is our children because that's what we hear continuously. But again, decay does not um, segregate to age. They do not care how old you are, as we all know. And it's not a sugar-based diet. We all know it's carbohydrate with bacteria. And adults, I believe, are more susceptible. We do have a higher rate of caries incident in our adults than we do in our children right now because they're not getting that prevention. And especially with root exposure or the crown and bridge work that a lot of our, our adults have, they are at much higher risk. So fluoride varnish four times a year would really help our patients to be able to um, be caries free. There's nothing any of us hate more than when the patient comes back for their hygiene care and doctor comes in for an exam and they need a crown or they need to redo an, a bridge. We could prevent that. You're really an advocate of performing fluoride varnish treatment on everybody in the office, regardless of age, and especially by what you're saying, statistics support this, the adult patient population, which is interesting. Um, are a lot of speakers on the dental hygiene tour, uh, are they kind of speaking the same thing? I do believe they do, yes. Most hygienists who are in on the lecture circuit and they're much more familiar with everything's out there, the data, the science, because they do a lot of research to prepare for presentations and lectures. I worked in public health. I was introduced to fluoride varnish back in public health. And I will tell you, no public health entity, whether it be a federally qualified health center or a community um, county health department, they do fluoride for everybody dental hygiene programs, which are also access points for people. And they usually see people who are higher risk for uh, caries. Everybody gets a fluoride, unless of course the patient says no, but it's standard of care in, within those arenas because we know a person who has a carry, an active caries lesion is at much higher risk for more demineralization. Yeah, and fluoride therapy now is pretty much single dose, right? So it's really ideal for infection control. What's the packaging like? What are some of the positive features of some of the products that are out there that make it easy and quick to apply, safe to use between patients? Um, if you could just fill us in a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when I first started using fluoride varnish, it was in a tube and we used to have to squirt some of it out and a little more came out and Oh, it was, in, you know, and then you have to cap it and then you have to wipe everything down. Now, single dose, they've got the brush there with it. I happen to use Floridose and um, the college that I work at, they also use Floridose. The patients seem to like the flavor. These, um, I love the ease of application. It goes on even in saliva. You don't have to dry. It flows nicely. It's not thick and, and goopy, you know, like how patients would feel after you do the polishing because a lot of hygienists like I just polish them. I want their teeth to feel good. 
we all want that, but we also want to prevent decay. So we just have to talk and educate our patients. And, and I've not had any patients have any issues with it. And what's the time frame for applying? The patient gets the restorative treatment done, and then if that office does at that point apply the fluoridose, what's the actual additional chair time involved with that? Absolutely about 30 seconds, unless they want to paint it as if they're painting a fingernail. So what mm -hmm. I try to do when I'm with hygiene students, I say, just go for it, put it on, you know, and um, you don't have to paint it as if you're painting, you know, your fingernails. Right. And it's extremely quick. And with children, a lot of times when we do um, public screenings and stuff, actually put it on our fingers and rub it on the child. It's easier than having that brush. Let's talk about risk assessment a little bit. Uh, you've often lectured on risk assessment and the need to conduct a quote unquote formal or structured risk assessment of different types of patients. What is the status of this in today's offices, if you can comment on that? And also, doesn't risk assessment add a lot of time to the hygienist's daily workload? What's the actual additional resources that are needed to do a proper risk assessment program? Okay, good question. Um, risk assessment is taught. It's, it's actually through our licensure. Dental hygienists are charged through licensure to do an um, assessment of the patient, which includes a risk assessment. Risk assessment, um, when I first started, when I graduated and I first started, I was all over the place. I didn't have a system. You know, you're in hygiene school, you've got three hours times how many visits for a patient, and then all of a sudden you go down to 45 or an hour, and you've got to incorporate all of this. So I decided that I was going to do um, the same assessment each and every time and start engaging the patient in it and showing the patient with a mirror. If I was lucky enough to have an intraoral camera, I would do that. I use forms in the beginning, at this stage, I'm pretty good. I don't have to have a form, but I like to have it there because sometimes I do forget too. I happen to use uh, Centrix forms. They have streamlined what people know as Canberra. They've streamlined those forms. They have one that the patient can fill out before and bring in, and you can have that discussion with the patient so it opens that dialogue. I do my risk assessment at the same time that I'm doing my oral assessment, and I check off as I go it saves me time because it helps me to treatment plan properly. The thing that gets dental hygienists into um, a challenge with time management is that patients are treatment planned appropriately. We may be doing um, services that, you know, are maybe shouldn't be done on, on a patient. We can do that risk assessment, treatment plan, set those recares, educate that patient each and every time is to the whys. Patient has to know why. You can't just say, oh, we want to do a fluoride varnish today. You have to show them that um, there's plaque buildup, you're breaking down, you have um, active carious lesions, and let them know that this is going to re-harden that tooth. And about a 40% decrease in decay using fluoride varnish on a minimum of twice a year. That's what I was also going to ask you. What's the frequency of these standard treatments of fluoride varnish on patients that are not even high risk, but just the standard patient um, is twice a year, every six months? Twice a year is, is great. Um, most of my patients are on three to four month recares because a lot of them are perio patients. A lot of them do have a lot of crown and bridge work. So I will do it um, twice a year for them that are at low to moderate risk. A person who's at high risk, um, active carious lesion, uh, xerostomia, anyone who's going through any kind of chemo or radiation, it is a must every single three months. It is a must. So during the pandemic, uh, many dental and medical patients chose, obviously, to stay home and skip some of their normal treatments. So we saw kind of like a rise in telehealth visits. 
I even had a telehealth visit with my uh, general physician. It was just a conversation and going over basic stuff, how I feel and so forth. Um, I don't know how much information he got out of it, but uh, we, I did have a telehealth visit, which was interesting. What do you think the role is in dentistry and also dental hygiene for telehealth? And can one deliver real oral care via telehealth? I do believe that telehealth is going to be um, a way of the future. We had seen that we incorporated it. What COVID did it is, is it did two things. It, it forced the dental community to kind of grasp tele, teledentistry a bit. And it also educated our patients on that oral oral health is 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 equally as important as um, overall health too, because they understood more about inflammatory diseases and viruses. So I believe that it is um, a way of the future. It'll be utilized in public health probably sooner than it will be in the private practice. But dental hygienists can play a huge role in that. Depending on the state that the dental hygienist is in, and depending on what their practice act is, like in Oregon, um, they're allowed to prescribe. They're allowed to do things without pre-authorization in specific settings. So they could engage that patient, whether it be a patient of record or a patient who has um, reached out to the office, do a tour of the mouth, depending on what type of um, equipment they might have or what the patient has, be able to have the patient send the patient disclosings, um, tablets, and be able to look inside the mouth and help that patient, guide that patient, at least get preventive with some fluoride varnish, good brushing, home brushing skills, and be able to identify if there's anything um, major happening. And then triage that patient into the appropriate um, provider, whether it be a specialist or whether it be a, a dentist. We have in Florida what we are called health access setting sites, and I've worked in many of those, where the dental hygienist goes in and does that assessment triaging. But there's a barrier because we don't have that dental provider. But teledentistry will actually connect us with a dentist, which is going to be phenomenal for our patients. I'm not sure how the facility works, but you're saying that some of the public health facilities don't have a dentist on staff. They only have dental hygienists? Correct. A, a lot of facilities, like I'll, I'll use Florida, for example, we have 60, um, 67 counties and we have seven of those counties do not have dental programs. So what has happened because of our statutes and our laws changed, allowing a dental hygienist to run a preventive program, providing fluoride varnish and sealants to um, patients or children or, or even seniors, depending on if it's a health access setting, which is a specific public health setting. They can run those, but the net, they cannot do another prophylaxis unless they have an examination by a dentist. So if there is no dentist that can take off of work from their facility, go in and spend an entire day to do these examinations, they can't have any more care. So being able to incorporate teledentistry where you can either store and put it forward for later, or you do it um, live with, with a dentist. And a dentist could be in their own practice practicing. I know so many dentists that want to give back to the community, but they can't afford to take a day off to go and spend a day where they could do um, these type of, they call them asynchronized uh, exams and they're stored forward and you can bill out for them. How do you get dentists involved with being on the electronic side to, to review these images or video and how do they get paid? A lot of the dentists um, that I know and a lot of the dentists that work in the public health setting, whether it be federally qualified health center or community health center, they need to be in their health centers drilling and filling because that's what they do. So for them to leave to do an exam, 
takes away from them providing care to those that need. So they are loving this. If they could do either, whether it be live and between patients or whether it be store and forward, um, they're able to see more. They can bill for those services as well. So there are specific codes. It's D9995 if you're doing it live or D9996 if it's asynchronous, which is store and forward. So they can stay in their facility, do their restorative care, and still provide the examination to the child, to the adolescent, to the adult in the health access setting and bill for it and not ever have to leave their practice. Under those conditions, that's uh, in that scenario, I should say, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's a huge benefit to telehealth right there. Is there anything else a practice can do uh, or can you make a recommendation to a dental practice that wants to beef up their prevention program um, to get more information or do they need to bring someone in like you to do a consultation? No, no, they really don't. I mean, there are many of these companies and I'll mention Centrix again because I, I, I work with them a lot. Uh, they have an online portal where you can download a risk assessment that's been streamlined, a patient risk assessment. But my recommendations would be have everyone in the practice get together, do a little bit of research on the benefits of fluoride varnish, especially for our adults who have um, a lot of restorative care, uh, whether they have dry mouth, root exposure from periodontal disease, they will get carious lesions a lot faster than they would on, on their enamel and talk about it and say, how do we incorporate it? And then the second thing is involve that patient in that risk assessment, have them fill out the patient risk assessment form. It's very simple, takes a few, se few seconds, have that discussion, then do that risk assessment and utilize a mirror and engage them. Let them see what's in their mouth and teach them what causes a cavity. Instead of telling them they just need something, teach them. And for any hygienist who feels bad about cost, because we are extremely empathetic and it, it challenges us when we have to charge a patient for something, remember how they're going to feel the next time they need a crown. That fluoride varnish, which mostly is under $50, if that could have prevented them from having a crown or it happened to me, lose a tooth. Imagine how great you're going to feel the next time you don't have the doctor comes in and doesn't examine. There's no decay because you did a prevention program. Right. So feel good about that. Yeah. So there is really a case acceptance component to this, right? Because if the patient, you're saying the patient really has to buy into this, it's the way it's presented and it's um, the risk assessment certainly will help drive that patient into the program to get this fluoride treatment every uh, twice a year or the higher risk ones, as you say, every three months. Um, so it's really getting the patient's buy-in, right? That's the key is to get their enthusiasm and buy-in to get this done regularly. Correct. I've been doing this with patients since fluoride varnish um, and ADA put out their position paper, and I think it was in 2005. I've incorporated it into every private practice I've worked in or worked with. And once you educate a patient that you can prevent a cavity with good home care, routine visits to your hygienist, fluoride varnishes, maybe rinses at home, uh, of course, interdental, um, you know, removal of biofilm, and they find out that they don't ever have to have a cavity, that it's not a passage of rite of passage of age. Patients are loving it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you not spend $100 a year to possibly never have to have a crown or a cavity again? Right. 
Yeah, that's, that's and once you get that understanding on the patient side and their buy-in, then their compliance goes up and they're looking forward to getting that fluoride treatment. And if it's, whether it's a Centrix product or another company's, I have heard good things about Fluoridose. It's, as you said, it's used in a lot of schools, which yes. hopefully says something. I, and you mentioned it's used in the college that you work at as well. Correct. Yeah. We do use it, yes. And the yeah. students love it. They've used other products. They, they do love it. It's, it, when you open it, that brush does not fly out because that happens a lot. It, it stays in there. It's got great flavors. When you mix it, it's really thin and it just goes on real smooth and kind of flows versus I used to use some years ago and felt like a varnish. Have you ever used a dry varnish on something? That's what it felt tacky. like. So yeah, it's, it's, the, yeah the, the, some of the other products are, are rather tacky. I think you covered it nicely, Kathy, and uh, we're happy to have you on the show again. And we'd love you to do more webinars and podcasts. You have a tremendous amount of experience in this. And what other specialties do you talk about other than fluoride treatment? Treating periodontal disease. My big passion. My husband was a severe perio patient. And unfortunately, um, nobody ever told him he had it until it was too late. Mm -hmm. He became my patient when I was a dental hygiene student. And so it's a big passion of mine to treat periodontal disease early and educate people on what this is. And that, you know, hygienists don't just do cleanings. We do treatment, we do prevention, we do therapy, and we do risk assessments. And those risk assessments include identifying oral cancer, any high blood pressure issues, medical complications. Um, so we do so much more than, than what our patients really understand what we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we appreciate all the great work dental hygienists do across the country, across the world, especially with the connection, the mouth-body connection, the systemic connection that's been proven through so many studies how important it is to treat the bacteria in the mouth so that it doesn't cause havoc across the board. Thanks again, Kathy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Have a wonderful evening, and uh, we appreciate all the great insight you provided us. Thank you, Philip. It's my pleasure.